Hello and welcome to episode number four of the Money Shop Podcast. Today we're going to talk about property, how you can flip it for a profit and hopefully make it either a career or at least a side hustle for you. You're listening to the Money Shop Podcast with your host, Damien Fogg, making personal finance and investing easy to understand, less intimidating, and even bordering on fun. Now, depending on where you got into my life, that sounds weird, but depending on when you started following me or listening to me or whatever, a lot of people know me as coming from a property background. That is kind of, well, it's my professional training. I'm a chartered building surveyor here in the UK. So it's something I've done a lot of. I've developed houses for loads of different people, MOD, um, the government, myself, investors, other people, family members, stuff like that. So there's been lots of ways in which I've been involved in the property development business. And it is something stupid. When you actually count up the amount of money I've been involved in, it is like 2.2, 2.3 billion pounds worth. So it's a slightly ridiculous sum, to be honest. But what it does mean is I've got a lot of experience in all aspects of it. I've seen the good bits, I've seen the easy bits, I've seen the much more difficult bits, and I've seen a lot, something that no one ever really talks about, I've seen it when it goes wrong, and people make it a loss on property development. When was the last time anybody who was online anywhere, when did they last talk about someone making a loss when it came to property investments? It's just not the done thing. Everybody's far too keen to talk about the auntie or uncle that they know that bought a house for five grand and sold it for half a million 20 years later. Isn't it great? Everybody knows someone down the pub that's spoken about, I don't know, some bollocks thing that they got involved in where they managed to flip a house for 30 grand and they didn't even spend £4.50 on a roll of paint. A roll of paint? That's not a thing, is it? Oh well, you know what I mean. So everyone's far too keen to talk about the good side and when it works out for them. Nobody wants to be the guy in the pub that says, yeah, I tried property development, bought it all up, made a loss, never going to do that again. It's just not a done thing. And especially in the UK, where we're obsessed with houses at the best of times, nobody wants to put their hand up and be like, yep, yeah, tried it, fucked it up, oops. But I can tell you, it happens. Probably more frequently than you might think. And when it's anybody involved in the industry, so any of these big names that run seminars and all that sort of stuff that have sourcing companies and all of that shit. If they're involved with it, chances are they've made one of their investors sign some kind of NDA to not talk about it. And some of them take it quite seriously. I've heard of people being taken to court to not talk about shitty deals they've been involved in because it impacts on the real money earner for them, which is selling courses and mentors and mentors, mentorships, all that sort of stuff. So it is a sketchy world at the best of times. So I thought I'd be me and be a dick about it and tell you all the real truth. So fundamentally, if you don't know what property flipping, free property development, whatever, it's going to be interchangeable because I'll forget what I'm supposed to be calling it. But the bare bones of it is you buy something that you can in some way, shape or form improve. You then sell it, hopefully for more money. And that's it. Doesn't get much more complicated than that. The only way it gets more complicated is the way in which you're trying to improve it. So the one that springs to mind for most people is 
you find a residential property that is in need of some work, usually it's a cosmetic upgrade, so, you know, new bathroom, new kitchen, new decoration. You buy it, you do all those things to it, and you sell it, and you make a massive profit. That's the dream we were all sold. That was what was on homes under the hammer, location, 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 property ladder, all of those things. I fell for it, basically. That was why I got into property in a big way, because I thought, well, that looks dead easy. I can... I can buy something, do minimal work, and sell it for a 50 grand profit after a year. The problem was, when this was all happening, it was in the 2000, 2001, up to about 2006. So, as they often said at the end of those programs, if somebody had just bought it, done absolutely nothing to it, and waited for the year, 18 months before they sold it, they would have made just as much profit by doing that, because house prices were just going up so much. Now, that's, I guess, good for them. But it can bite you in the arse. So all those people that when the property market collapsed in, what, 2008-ish, loads of people found themselves completely stuffed because they'd massively over-leveraged, they'd bought houses they couldn't really afford, that nobody really wanted, so they couldn't find tenants for it, they couldn't afford the mortgages anymore, and they ended up having to go bankrupt or whatever, return property, keys, and all that sort of bad stuff because they'd gone about it in a daft way. They'd gone about it on the basis of property prices keep on going up, so that's great for me. I'll just buy them, not worry about them, and sell them further down the line. Or, even worse, I'll just remortgage it, pull loads of money out, and I'll go again. I'll repeat the process. If nothing changes, and property prices keep on going up by 15, 20, 25% a year, then I'll be a billionaire by the time I'm 24. I saw loads of people doing that. For most of them, it didn't work out. There were those, is it the Wilsons? I can never remember their name. The two maths teachers, I think they were maths teachers, down in Kent, who managed to get 250, I want to say, houses in Kent, most of them new builds. The reason they did okay is because, whether it was luck or judgment, they managed to get houses in areas where there was a high tenant demand. So when shit hit the fan, they had lots of people that were willing to rent off them and cover their mortgages. And because they've got property in a very desirable, basically London commuter sort of area, then, yeah, they weathered the storm much better than a lot of other people. A lot of other people in exactly the same situation, but in a slightly less desirable from a tenant point of view area, ended up going declaring bankruptcy. So I wouldn't necessarily say they were geniuses. Probably an element of luck in there, but whatever. I don't know why I've just talked about all that. Seems like I went off on a bit of a tangent, but... My point is, I think, I'm trying to get a point out of this one now, is property development is relatively straightforward in a rising market because it's hard to go wrong. What you want to be doing, though, is making your money as a property developer in a stagnant market. So if you know today you can buy a house for 100 grand and in two years' time it's still going to be worth 100 grand because the house prices aren't really going up or down, that's, that's how I would personally... I would assess a property that I was looking to flip. So I'm going to look at it and think, I'm paying 100 grand for it now, that's what it's worth in today's terms. If I buy it and the very next day put it on the market, realistically I should get 100 grand for it. What I will then want to do is look at what am I going to do to improve this property and what increase in value is that going to lead to. So at no point am I thinking, yeah, yeah, it's fine, I buy 100 grand now, but in a year's time it's going to be worth 110 grand anyway. So I can add that extra inflation onto my bottom line 
and now I can manipulate them at figures to make it look like this is actually worthwhile doing. It might not be. So, what are the different ways you can add value to properties? Now this is, as ever, very specific to the UK, because that's the market I know, like the back of my hand, but fundamentally it works the same in any country around the world. So I've done this in America, that's about it. Um, I've done it a little bit to an extent in Germany and in Gibraltar and in Cyprus, but nowhere near as much as I have in the UK. I've seen a couple of programs about Australia, if that counts, makes me an expert, but I don't think it does, to be honest. But they are fundamental laws. Laws, that's a bit grandiose now. They're fundamental things, let's stick with things, um, that make sense and are pretty much applicable everywhere. So, first thing you can do is, as we talked about before, a fairly simple cosmetic upgrade to a property. So, that will vary from just redecoration, literally just throwing a different colour paint on the wall, maybe new carpets, things like that, redecorating it, tarting it up, and putting it back on the market. You're not doing anything that impressive, and so you're not going to get paid that much for having done it. So if that property's worth 100 grand, and you're going to spend, I don't know, four grand on it, let's say, to do the decoration work, then you might be able to charge 110, maybe 115 if you're really good at it. It's not going to make a huge amount of difference. What you're appealing to there is someone who could do the job that you've just done, because you're not doing anything overly impressive. You're fucking painting a wall or putting some floors down. What you're doing, though, is you're appealing to someone who just wants to walk straight into a property and think, I don't need to do anything. It's already been done for me. Now, if they're looking for a new build place, then you're shit out of luck because chances are you haven't got a new build. But that's kind of the appeal that you're creating because it's fresh, new. Someone can walk into it and put their own stamp on. But it's not worth that much money to someone. They could employ someone else to do it for them and, yeah, job done. So the next stage up from that is where you do a bit more in the way of redecoration and that's where you start putting things like a new bathroom in a new kitchen in maybe a conservatory something like that something that's not necessarily massively structurally different or difficult i guess but it can have a much bigger impact so in this case 100 grand house you might be looking at spending 15 20,000 and now you're probably going to be looking at making you know i don't know 135 150 that kind of ballpark figure these figures are all just plucked out of my ass, by the way, but it gives you a bit of an idea of roughly the sort of numbers you might be looking at. Next stage after that is where you go into more structural changes. So you might be turning a, I don't know, a two-bed into a three-bed. You might be doing an extension on the back of a semi-detached property and adding an extra living room or extending the kitchen. There's a whole bunch of things you can do structurally. You might be adding an extra floor. You might be, you could do all sorts of stuff. That's kind of the joys of a building. You can get away with doing quite a lot up to it. But in that sort of case, what you're looking at here is a fairly major project and you're, you're basically changing the nature of the property. So you're turning, let's say, a two-bed semi-detached into a three-bed semi-detached or a four-bed even. You're turning something that has a downstairs lounge and a really small kitchen into a big open-plan kitchen diner and a large conservatory orangery whatever you call a fancy conservatory nowadays sunroom i think um so you're having a much bigger impact on the property and that's going to increase not increase it's going to change the appeal of your target audience 
So potentially you can charge quite a lot more for that property then. So they're more of the physical ways of property developing. And that's what most people assume are your only options. Now, when you're actually running the numbers on these, a lot of people do it on the basis of they want to do this. They want to become a property developer. More often than not, it's someone who wants to do it as a side project or they've got a bit of money. They've seen a house that looks like it could do with some work. So they've already sold themselves on the idea of this is a good idea. We should do this. That's never a good sign for a start. What you want to do is make sure the numbers actually genuinely stack up. So in the UK, because of the change of law, we've now got additional stamp duty you have to pay. But it's things like that you need to account for when you run your numbers. So what are your buying costs, whether it's any agents involved, whether there's the stamp duty that you're going to have to pay, anything involved with the buying of the process, buying of the process, buying process of that property, legal fees, stamp duty, blah, 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 all of that stuff. So that might turn straight away a hundred grand property into costing you 105,000 straight off the bat. So you're already five grand down on the profit of the property. If you then just try to sell it the very next day and you still only sold it for a hundred grand, you've wasted five grand. But what you're also going to look at, even at the very front end, is figure out what your sales, sales, sales costs are going to be as well. So again, you can have some solicitor's fees, probably. You may have other fees involved that. You're not going to pay stamp duty again, fortunately, but there may be other transactional costs, estate agent's fees, more likely. You're not going to know exactly what those numbers will be, but you can have a pretty good stab at them. So putting those costs in at the front end as well gives you another starting point. So your 100 grand house, it's 104 to buy it. To sell it might be another, say, two, three grand on top of that, probably close to two. So you're now 106,000 and you still haven't done anything. So if you just buy it, do nothing and then sell it, you're going to lose six grand. Bad times. Probably not going to bother with that one, are you? And then you've got, obviously, the work cost, whatever it is you're going to do, whether it's you personally are going to go around and paint the walls or you can fit the floor or maybe you can redo bathrooms, whatever it might be. You need to price up the materials for the job, but also the time of doing that as well. So it's all very well saying, oh, no, it's fine. I'll keep costs down because I'll do all the work. Well, you're still going to have to do the work. So what I would recommend there is you pick, even if it's just a labor a day rate, but you pick a reasonable rate of pay for someone to do the jobs that you need doing. So even if you are, you know, maybe you're a trained electrician or plumber or something like that, and you can do a lot of technical work in there. Yes, you're going to save money by doing that, but it's still going to take up a lot of your time. You could be doing plumbing and electrics for somebody else and getting paid your normal day rate. So it's a bit of a false economy to say, oh, well, it's free because I did it. Well, no, you're not free. That's why you're doing this, to make a profit. So don't discount yourself too much. And then if, a bit like me, you're not going to bother doing all this stuff yourself, what you're going to do is pay someone else to do it. So that's your alternative. You just, even if you are going to do the work yourself, you spec out the cost of the refurb, the upgrade, whatever it might be, as if you were going to pay someone else to do it. That way, if something does happen to you, for whatever reason you can't do it, maybe a better job comes along, maybe it changed your mind, You've already run the numbers to see if it makes sense for you to get somebody else to come in and do this job for you. So I definitely say those things were important. So you've now got, you've bought the property, you've got all the transactional costs involved, you've then got the works costs involved, and that's going to give you pretty much all of the costs of that property. 
what you need to do is then figure out are you going to make any profit on doing this now it depends on the person what you think it's worthwhile doing now i would say probably from a percentage point of view you're going to be looking at a minimum of i don't know 20 25% some people will say a lot higher some people will say a bit lower for me it was usually around that sort of figure but not only from a percentage point of view you then need to look at it from a physical cash point of view so let's say just for argument's sake 20% equals 10 grand so you're only buying a 50 grand house here but you can make 20% profit on this and it's 10 grand in your back pocket that's great but if there's anything that goes slightly wrong on the project you've not got a great deal of profit to play with so that 10 grand could quickly get swallowed up by you know maybe you don't plan on redoing the kitchen but when you get in there you realize you have to and you've then got to put a 4 grand kitchen in there you've just taken a huge hit on your profit margin so there's not a great deal of contingency or leeway within that project so that's just something to probably bear in mind it's good to have a fixed amount that you want to make from a property and also a fixed percentage return on the money you're putting in now you can massively improve your percentage return by using other people's money now this is something that a lot of people i should stop saying now it's pissing me off at this point anyway you can use other people's money simply by just going to a bank and it's going to be one of the dodgier lenders they're not dodgy but they they charge a lot more because they're taking on risk of developments so they are going to be a bit more expensive but there's a lot of them out there the kensingtons the what are they paragon um precise there's a whole bunch of people they can fund a project like that they're not going to fund you 100% obviously but it can hugely reduce that 100 grand house might only cost you 25 grand so all of a sudden if that project was going to cost 100 grand to buy 4 grand to buy in purchase costs 2 grand to sell in sales costs maybe another 15 grand well hang on let's make it 14 grand so it makes the maths easier uh 14 grand in development costs so you're now at what 120,000 instead of it costing you 120,000 it's actually only going to cost you 45,000 because you're going to get a loan of 75 grand up front now if you're going to do it that way don't forget that you're going to have to pay for that money so you will have probably an arrangement fee up front which will usually be it'll be either a percentage or a fixed fee but there's usually a minimum fixed fee so it might be a thousand pounds you're then going to pay a fairly high rate of interest over the term that you've got the money so you're you may be adding an extra 3-4 grand onto the cost of that project which is fine if the project has enough cash profit to swallow that but maybe it doesn't but you can see how all of a sudden if you're only putting in 45,000 instead of 125,000 if you make 10 grand profit on that you've gone from i don't know about 8 9% profit all of a sudden you're now at 20 25% so it makes a huge difference to the ROI the return on investment okay okay so we've looked at the buying costs the sales costs obviously the the cost the actual building in the first place the development costs the final piece of the puzzle is the sales price that you're going to achieve now that's always going to be a bit of a guess for one you don't know what the market's going to be like in 12 months 6 months a year's time whatever it might be i said 12 months and a year didn't i you get my point you don't know what the sales market's going to be like in the future 
So that's a bit of a stab in the dark. But you can have a bit of an educated guess. Realistically, you need to be, even as a minimum, you're looking at nine months for a project. Even if it's something you think, well, I can get in there, turn it around in four weeks, I can get it back on the market. The way the UK mortgage market works at the moment is basically without being too boring, it's if you buy something within six months, they think you're somehow trying to scam them. So whether it's you getting the finance or somebody else getting the finance, if it's within six months time frame of someone else having bought it, then all they'll say is, well, we'll let you value it at the price that person paid for it and maybe the price of the invoices for the work's done, but no more. So if you buy something for 100, spend 25 all in, at most, someone will be able to get that property valued at 125 if it's within six months. Even if everybody agrees, yeah, yeah, it's worth 150, but because it's within that six-month time frame, they basically tell you to piss off. If you wait six months and then get it valued, someone will say, yeah, yeah, it's worth 150, and the lenders will value it on that basis. So at best, you, you can't really be advertising your property, your developed property, until six months are up. And at that point, then you can start looking at, well, okay, now let's find someone, get the mortgage stuff arranged, get someone in. You're talking probably absolute best a month. More realistic, though, is the two to three months. So that's why we always say nowadays, you're looking at a nine-month absolute minimum turnaround for a project. So that gives you an idea. If you are going to use finance, that's how long you need to account for having to pay that mortgage. So I'm pretty sure that wasn't the point I was going to make, though. But I've forgotten what my other point was. Oh, yeah. We were talking about valuing the future price of the property. So... The best thing you can do is look at existing properties that are going to represent what you're about to put on the market. So if you're going to turn that two-bed semi into a three-bed semi, what do three beds currently go for right now? If you're going to go for you know a really run-down terrace house and you're going to tart it up to the nines and it's going to look lovely, what does a currently tarted up property look like in the same property area, same road, whatever? What you're looking to do is say... At this point, my product is A, a bit shit, but product B, which is what my property is going to look like at some point, is worth, hopefully, X plus something. So let's just, I'm trying to keep these numbers simple because I can't be asked opening up a spreadsheet. If you're paying 100 grand for a property and it's a sack of shit, but there's one next door that's worth 120 and it's exactly what your property is going to look like, then that gives you an indication that whatever comes or goes, the difference between the two is about 20%. So in a year or two's time, maybe the property market has gone up and your 100 grand house would now naturally be worth 150 anyway. Well, you can add 20% on top of that, which is going to be, what, 30 grand. So a tarted up version of your house should be worth 180. So they've moved up kind of, and this is, you know, it's not, universal across all properties and all markets but for a short-ish time frame this is how valuers will value properties they look at that's why they always say can you show me historic evidence of properties similar to this they work backwards from that so if as a valuer i used to be pretty good at valuing things if as a valuer you look at a property that doesn't have any direct comparables what you then do is you look at well what is a direct comparable from the historic and now and what percentage changes happened there. And then when you look at that historic sale price, what was the percentage difference between that property and the property that I'm currently valuing? And you almost, you have to double calculate, but you basically say, 
the percentage difference between type A and type B is this. Type B has gone from this price to this price. Therefore, I can assume type A has also increased by the same amount, which would value that property at this price. And so that was possibly a little bit complicated, but that's how you would potentially come up with a future value for your property. Now, nobody can tell you exactly what it's going to be because it is a pure stab in the dark. And it's always, if you can get someone, you know, you only need to get two people that really want your property and they can bid the price up to a crazy amount. That's great if they have a lot of cash, but if they're relying on a mortgage, doesn't matter if someone says, yeah, yeah, I'll give you half a million for your 150 grand house. If the valuer comes along and says, yeah, you're an idiot, it's worth 150, that's the basis we'll give you a mortgage. Unless they've got an extra 400 grand knocking about, then chances are they're going to then chip you and say, oh, well, the valuation only came back at 150, so can we agree 150? Which is a bit of a kick in the teeth. So it's, it's great having people desperate for your property and fighting for it, but it doesn't necessarily come back to you in that same way. It might, but whatever. The other way that you can actually develop a property is by not doing any of that hard work and actually doing more of a paper-based exercise. So a lot of you will have heard of leasehold. Basically, there's two type of properties in the UK, freehold and leasehold. Freehold, in simple terms, you own the land that the property is built on. Leasehold, you just own that part of the building. You don't actually own the land that it's built on. Most flats are leasehold because you don't own the land. Most houses are freehold. You do own the land. So keeping it simple, there are lots of variations, but in its simplest terms, that's it. Now, with a leasehold, that leasehold is a contract. It's a lease, funnily enough, with the freeholder, the one who owns the ground, and it's usually for a long period of time. So it's either, you know, it can be 999 years. So it's basically a freehold, but it can be as short as 100, maybe 125 years for new build things. Lots of controversy over it recently. I'm not going to bother talking about that. But what it comes down to is when you get to about the 80-year, 70-year mark, that's what's left of the lease, all of the lenders start to shit themselves and they don't want to lend the same way on that type of property anymore. So if a property is worth 200000 with a 100-year lease, if that's only got a 50-year lease, that property might only be worth a hundred, hundred and twenty thousand. It can take a massive hit because there's not that much left. There's not that much time left on the lease because at the end of that lease, even though you know it would be very, very rare for someone to just give up their house, in theory that could happen. You could get to the end of your lease and the freeholder could say, "Okay, thanks. I'm not going to renew it, and I want the property back." Very rare bordering on impossible for that really to happen but it could and more likely is they'd say yeah yeah you can have a new lease i want this much money for it and they've kind of got you over a bit of a barrel because you've built a property on their land so yeah you're a bit stuck you're committed there so that's what lenders freak out about which massively impacts on the valuation the developer brain though is you can buy something with a very short lease and all you have to do is it's a legal exercise to go through. So it's a job for the solicitors rather than for you. But you approach the freeholder and say, I want to extend my lease by whatever, 99 years. Here's all the prescribed forms that I have to fill out. Depending on the time of it, it's either like a fixed calculation of it will cost you this much. Or there's an element of, well, it'll cost you this much. But also we think it's going to uplift the value by X. Therefore, we want some of that uplift. So either way, you end up making a profit on that, but the amount of money you have to pay might change. 
So that's just something to keep in mind. But the point is, it's very much just a paper-based exercise. So there's no messing about with plumbers, plasterers, electricians. There's no building works involved. It's literally, you buy something, stick a tenant in it if you want, or leave it empty, but you buy something, the property, that has a leasehold, you extend that leasehold, getting your solicitor to do all the work for you, you pay a cheque over to them, your leasehold gets extended, that increases the value of the property, and potentially makes it mortgageable when it wasn't before, that's what you've done to add value to that property, stick it on the market, sell it, make a profit. Happy days. So that is another type of development that you can do. Now, I've only done it a couple of times. It's it's fine. It's it's quite good. I like it. It's very cash intensive, though, because if you want the best, as it were, I suppose, um, uplift in value, then what you're looking for is a very short lease that you can extend. Because it's a very short lease, you are going to have a big uplift in value when you get a better lease on it, and therefore the freeholder demands more money off you. So it's still profitable, still works out, but it can just be quite an expensive, quite a cash-intensive way of doing it. You can obviously then refinance once you've done it, pull up most of your money out and bugger off, but it still relies on a big chunk of cash to do it in the first place. A lot of these properties tend to be in big cities as well, so London has quite a lot of them, but because of the prices of houses in London, that gets very expensive very quickly, so you need very deep pockets to be able to do that, which is great from a, a financial figures profit point of view, but from an ROI, it's not necessarily as great. So something to think about, but it will depend very much on the type of property you're looking at. The other thing you can do, this is the last one now, is simply making a property mortgageable. Most people in the UK, most people in the world, buy properties with a mortgage. If, for whatever reason, a property isn't mortgageable, then you can make quite a lot of money by doing the bare minimum to make it mortgageable. So, for example, I bought a property once that wasn't mortgageable because there was no bathroom. So we had a down, well, it had a kitchen, as it were. It literally had a, a shitty sink in the middle of a room, but that was the kitchen. So yeah, fine. Most mortgage companies say it's got to have a kitchen and a bathroom and be you know, weatherproof, basically. They're the main sort of criteria. So this one didn't have a bathroom indoors. It did have an outside toilet that was attached to the property, but you had to go out one door into the back garden, back into the other door into the bathroom. So Damien being Damien, sneaky little devil that I am, basically bought it, kicked a big-ass hole in the wall, stuck a door on it, actually put the outside door back on, but inside, bricked up that other one with the bricks that I just knocked out, and then it became mortgageable. So didn't do any work. The property needed full refurb, but didn't do any of that work. But simply by doing that, getting it from, this is only something someone with a lot of cash can buy and do up, to this is now a property that can be mortgaged, and then done up and sold on for a profit, I managed to make a fairly decent profit for what was effectively like a week's worth of work. And that was purely done because I'd made a property that wasn't mortgageable, mortgageable. Now I actually went to auction with that one and sold it pretty quickly. So it was it was quite easy and quite straightforward and a good financial return. Not amazing percentage return because I had to pay full cash for it. But because it was unmortgageable, I got a very good price for it. So swings and roundabouts. So that, my little lovelies, is a whirlwind tour of property flipping. There are three main takeaways. I mean, they're not really a takeaway. Chinese, Indian, and pizza. The main takeaways from me are you can make 
you can't make fuck all money at the beginning, but there's three places you need to focus to try and make more money or maximize your profit. When you're buying the property, get it for as cheap as possible. A lot of people, a lot of people, some people talk about getting things below market value. That's not really a thing. You're not special. So when you buy a property, you're probably paying market value in that nobody else would pay much more or much less for it than you are. So you're paying that market value by definition. But trying to get as good a value as you can at the front end, you can probably shave 5 to 10% off most properties by being the most appealing buyer. So working on that front end, that's one area. The second area is the actual works itself. So if you're going to be doing some sort of development, can you get that development work done cheaper? So are you really good at negotiating? Have you got any skills yourself that you can reduce the cost of doing that works? If it's legal thing, are you qualified to do it yourself or are you willing to give it a go at doing it yourself? That's the second area you can make a profit. And then the third one is obviously when you come to sell it. And again, market will dictate what that price is, but you can dress the place you can make it look as pretty as possible you can advertise it in the best possible way so maybe it is auction because you want a quick sale and that's your target end market so maybe that's the best ways to go maybe going to one of the fancy pants jackson stops knight frank those sorts of people savills will get you into the right sort of clientele as it were uh, for the property or whoever the local agent is so whatever you can do to increase the final price that's the third place. And that's the bit where you actually make the profit because up until then, all at best you've made paper profit. It's not until you sell the thing that you actually make any money. So yeah, only caveat is it's nowhere near as easy as everybody makes out. As I said at the start, there are a lot of people that make a loss doing this and it's usually down to the works section. So works that they didn't expect to be doing ended up needing to be done or contractors let people down, ended up cost them a lot more. Project managers failed or didn't do their job properly. Insurance companies, if you're doing something like a new build, sometimes insurers won't work out and you end up having to buy two certificates to prove that the property's been built properly. All kinds of crazinesses. And nobody really likes talking about those kind of things, but it does happen. So if this is the sort of thing that you think, yeah, yeah, fuck it, I'll just give it a go, see what happens, good luck to you but I don't really like your chances that much. If you're willing to put the right amount of time, effort and energy into it, it's potentially something that can pay you tens of thousands of pounds a year and you don't need to do that many of them, but there is a risk involved of it going wrong and it can cost you tens of thousands as well. So anything that you can currently do to make yourself tens of thousands, think of how much time and effort either goes into that now or has gone into that over the years don't think you can do property, get the same level of return as that without putting in a similar amount of time and effort. That's probably the only caveat. Far too many people think, well, I bought a house once, it wasn't that hard, fuck it, I'll do that again. Yeah, not the same thing. So, hopefully useful, hopefully entertaining. Well, probably not that entertaining to be fair, this one. I know a bit too much about it to be entertaining on it, but there you go. So, yeah, go flip a house. Let me know how you get on. So you just survived and hopefully enjoyed the money shot from Damien Fogg. If you just can't help yourself and you want even more, head over to the epinvestor.com forward slash podcast for the show notes, links to whatever shit he just talked about in this episode, possibly some exclusive content about cool finance stuff, and even maybe a free pony. 